My name is Dr. Dave McGarvey of The Open University. I'm a geologist who specialises in volcanic eruptions into glaciers. In this podcast, you're going to accompany me on a field trip to Iceland, where I will be investigating the evolution of two quite different volcanoes. Working alongside me at the first volcano is Open University research student Anne Forbes. I'm here in Western Iceland and I'm down by the coast looking up at a magnificent snow-covered stratovolcano called Snæfellsjökull. Running down the flanks of a volcano are hundreds of lava flows. It's a bit like if you take a pyramid and pour chocolate sauce all over it. You'll see all these little channels where the sauces run down and the lava flows here have come right down to the sea. Snæfellsjökull is best known as a place where Jules Verne wrote the story Journey to the Centre of the Earth, whereas intrepid explorers went down into Snæfellsjökull through ice caves and down into the volcanic crater and from there down into the centre of the Earth. To go down a blunderbuss, I thought, when it may be loaded and may go off at the slightest touch is sheer lunacy. But there was no going back. lavas that have flowed down from this volcano have come down and entered the sea down at the foot of Snæfellsjökull and what we're trying to do is to understand something about how lavas interact with water, ice and snow because that's what Anne's doing for her PhD project. So Anne, just describe for a moment what you see in front of you please. So all I can see here is lots of very tall and thin lava bodies. They look impossibly tall and thin, like they might almost topple over. And inside these is a very kind of platy fracturing. It looks almost like lots of sheets of paper or plywood, maybe. Now, these are rather weird-looking features because they're about 10, 50 metres high, but they're only about 4 or 5 metres wide. And the outer part of these ridges is filled with a red, rubbly material which is partly welded together. But the interior of these ridges is the most peculiar part of them. It's a grey lava... And this is nothing like anything Anne and I have actually seen anywhere we've been working in Iceland before. Yeah, it's a bit of an enigma, really. How do these strange plates form? Why are they forming here, where the lava flows into the sea, but they don't form elsewhere? That's one of the fascinations of geology. We have what's in front of us. We then have to try and reconstruct what actually happened many thousands of years ago when this lava erupted. I have to say, Anne, I've walked in many places on lavas, but I've never seen anything quite as strange as this. What we're looking at is a vertical face about a couple of metres high on the edges of one of these long linear ridges that go into the sea. And the lava here has been crushed, so it's almost like corrugated iron in a way. Quite frankly, I'm baffled. They're so thin, these plates. Some of them are paper thin. There must have been some kind of force pushing these plates together to crinkle them like this. Because when we look above and below the plates we see the lava looks much more homogenous, not quite so highly fractured if you like, so might that suggest that the lava's been moving much more in this area than elsewhere? Yeah, I think you could almost call it accommodation zone, it's accommodating the stress as the lava's possibly moving one part over the other part. 
Well, that's going to be extremely useful to us if we find these zones where things are moving much more rapidly than elsewhere. Thanks. I found something, and I think what we call this is a xenolith, which literally means a foreign rock, something that's not like the rest of the lava here. Quite square, actually, very angular, made of coarse crystals, whereas the lava that we've got here is very fine-grained. You can't see the crystals at all with the naked eye. What's the significance of this xenolith? Well, this is probably something that the lava picked up on its way through the Earth's crust, so... The minerals in here that we can identify, one of them seems to be a garnet. And garnet is a mineral that's very typical of high-pressure rocks. A wonderful example of a little passenger that's travelled from the source region at which this magma was created, deep within the crust. So in other words, it's had a journey from the centre of the Earth. From the centre of the Earth, yes. (laughs) At this point, I left Anne by the sea to continue her research. Well, I went off to undertake the first study of a large and complicated volcano that's evolved over many glacial periods. I'm here on the slopes of the Askia volcano in central Iceland. It's in the uninhabited interior of Iceland and probably as remote as you can get in the vastness of Iceland. Askia itself is a spectacular volcano. In the centre of this donut shape of brownish material this basalt erupted into glaciers. You have an absolutely beautiful blue lake, about four kilometres in diameter. It's one of the deepest lakes in Iceland, and it was formed in an eruption in 1875. The 1875 eruption injected a lot of fine ash into the atmosphere, which, had it happened today, would have seriously disrupted transatlantic air travel. This eruption also dramatically altered the shape of Askia. In the area around the volcano itself, you find huge blocks of pumice, which are up to one and a half to two metres in diameter. So when these were falling down, this would not have been a comfortable place to be in 1875. So what am I doing at Askia? Well, I'm with a group of Icelandic and American scientists and we're here to do the very first study of how Askia has actually grown during past glacial periods. It's the first attempt anyone's ever made to reconstruct the geological history and evolution of what we call a central volcano. There are a large number of volcanoes that exist beneath the ice caps of Iceland. So by studying Askia, which is well exposed, we stand an opportunity of getting a better understanding of these other volcanoes and also of the potential hazards they may have in terms of future eruptions, particularly those that might affect the UK, because when you've got eruptions into ice sheets, you can end up fragmenting material much, much more than normal. And if that material can escape into the atmosphere in sufficient quantities, you can carry the ash a long, long way, as we saw during the April 2010 eruption of Eyjafjallajökull. It's a spectacular sight, but the disruption it's causing is almost as dramatic as the views it's providing. The Icelandic volcano has grounded airliners, left passengers stranded and businesses suffering. It's a bit of an added edge to working on an active volcano like Askia. It just makes you think a little bit about the forces of nature when you see the very young lava flows streaming down from the flanks and the very black and very rubbly and very fresh looking. The most recent eruption here was in 1961. Now, although you can hear a gently babbling stream in the background, 
This isn't typical of this part of Iceland. This part of Iceland is dominated by bleak, barren, inhospitable wastelands. It'd be quite easy to get lost out there and actually to die out there because there's no water to be had for kilometre upon kilometre upon kilometre. We've now come round to another valley called Nottegit, which, to give it its full name, means Astronaut Valley, named after the astronauts who came here to train before the moon landing. And it's quite humbling in a way to be walking around this terrain and thinking that the astronauts who actually landed on the moon once actually trained here. Uh, one or two inches, now, although the surface appears to be very, very fine-grained as you get close to it. It's almost like a powder. Ground mass uh, is very fine. I'm going to step off the limb. I've just been walking upstream on the eastern side of Askia, following a very interesting contact, because it tells us something about the difference between volcano ice interactions and what actually happens when you've got no ice around at all. On the right-hand bank of the stream, as I walk up it, I have a fairly flat-lying lava flow, nice and slabby, easy to walk on. It's a lava flow erupted into conditions very much like we have in the modern day, i.e. no ice around at all. On the left-hand bank, I have quite a steep slope, and within this, I see a number of pillows. This is a pillow mound, and this is good evidence in this area for volcano ice interactions. We have some pillows that look strangely flattened, which suggests that they may have actually encountered an ice wall on the margins of a little lake, which was within an ice cavity. And that's one of the thrills of working on Iceland. Uh, you always find something a little bit new, a little bit interesting, and it all adds to some of knowledge. After my time at Askia, I rejoined Anne in southern Iceland, where we encountered something rather unexpected. The noise you can hear is that of a raging glacial torrent. It's a river called the Skaftau, and it's cutting down through a very young lava flow that erupted in 1783, the Lackey Lava. This river drains part of the Glacier. And why it's quite exciting being here at the moment is that we're just on the tail end of a glacial burst where a large amount of water has escaped from beneath the glacier. It's done that because there's a couple of geothermal areas where heat's escaping out of the ground beneath the thick ice of a glacier, and the water accumulates under these geothermal areas, and every now and again it releases in a massive burst of water that comes raging down this river. The effects of the 1783 eruption of Lackey were felt across Western Europe, with volcanic gases causing widespread crop failure and many deaths. In Iceland, the impact was particularly devastating. About one-third of the population died. Of particular interest to Anne's PhD project is that the Lackey lava flowed down the river valley. I joined her as she examined the unusual features produced as the river water interacted with the flowing lava. So what we see is a lot of column-type features. We have an entablature towards the base. An entablature is columns where you get very variable directions. They're often quite small and they don't look like your normal columns that you might see, say, at the Giant's Causeway. They're much smaller, much more irregular. 
But then on top we see something more like the columns you might see at the Giant's Causeway, what we would call a colonnade. So these columns are forming nice and slowly from the top downwards and coming to meet the entablature which is forming from the bottom upwards. But there's also other fractures coming in here, things that we would call pseudopillow fractures. Okay, it's fascinating because these pseudopillow fractures, just to clarify, they're kind of straight, curvilinear. Yes, they can go on for sort of five or six metres across the lava. And then forming off these perpendicularly are very small fractures. I often think of an old-fashioned diagram of somebody being stitched up with the long cut and the stitches going across it. Is that a reasonable analogy? Yes, that's quite a good one. And also maybe a long, curvy millipede with little legs coming off at right angles. Okay, so just to sum up, it seems a very simple story. A lava flow coming down a river valley and quite recent in 1783, so some of this was witnessed. But in detail, we're seeing the three main fracture types, if you like. You've got your colonnade, you've got your entablature, and you've got these pseudopillow fractures going all over the place. And this, I think, highlights the importance of your research because there's no real good diagnostic evidence we can use to say this feature is characteristic of this environment. So what we need to do is to look at more examples to try and get a better handle on what is typical and not typical of particular environments. Is that a fair way? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay, thank you. At this early stage in research projects, there are always more questions than answers. But we've returned armed with notebooks filled with observations and sketches and with many samples to measure and analyse. So over the coming months, we will work away until we have more answers than questions. The Open University. Fire and Ice, the Volcanoes of Iceland, was presented by Dr Dave McGarvey. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk slash science.